0: Here we go. Hi, I'm Dom. I'm a vinyl holic. The first record I ever bought was the Beatles Movie Medley 7 inch single in a plain EMI red label cover in 1982.
1: Welcome, Dom. My name is Nate. I too am a vinyl holic. My first record was Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon. 1972 given to me when I was three years old by my brother for Christmas who thought it was a great gift to get a child a record. I've been hooked ever since.
0: How old were you in 72? Three. And how old was your brother?
1: Oh geez Uh, I want to say close to 10. So your brother wanted a copy of Dark Side. Exactly and that wasn't the only one either. I was the vehicle in which they did that so their collection grew through me
0: okay so if we're going to do the first record we owned as our painful or embarrassing announcement at the beginning okay my one was the seven dwarfs and the diamond mine which was one of those disney record books where you, you can read along with, with me. me in your book you will know it is time to turn the page
1: when tinkerbell rings her little bells like this
0: my parents gave me that i suspect they didn't actually want it for themselves i think they gave it to me for me I would have been about three, Mm -hmm. Uh, so it would have been 1974. They may have been protecting me from the evils of what came out in 74, Band on the Run. I don't (laughs) know. T-Rex. T-Rex. I'm not sure.
1: See, I hit the ground running because I had older brothers and sisters. Not to say I didn't go back and do the Disney records, do the Tubby the Tuba and all the different things like that. I did get into those. but. Bang straight out of the gate, it was psychedelic rock, and I guess that's been a very heavy influence to how I've lived my life since.
0: We were going to discuss formats, but why don't we start with the seven-inch EP? which was the record for The Seven Dwarfs and the Diamond Mine. You know that whole Disney uh, range Mm -hmm. that included towards the end there. Even E.T. was one of those kind of books, more or less. Yep,
1: I remember we had quite a few of those, and in fact, I still have some of those for my kids. When I travel around, I will pick up 45s that have comic books or turn the page. And I've got several G.I. Joe for my youngest son, who absolutely loves them. And so, yeah, that absolutely, I still have several in my collection.
0: i uh, I, one of those people that has to buy that stuff as well. And for me, recently, I bought one that's Music of the Maoris. Mm. Uh, so, yes, the social anthropology kind of range of seven-inch gp with book. And
1: what is the sound... ...request you to turn the page.
0: The interesting thing about these, though, are serious collectors of a certain age will tell you that the seven-inch single was always considered the novelty for the mm-hmm. children grown-ups bought albums singles were for the kids they were cheaper to buy even though they were marketing for albums mm-hmm. they, they were the toy and serious turntables there was a time when a serious turntable would not even have the 45 setting that's right so how do you feel I mean I love my seven inch singles I would almost browse them first if I'm in a new shop Mm because they're easier to go through you know what you've got pretty much
1: Yeah, see that's where you and I differ I still think it's a bit of a novelty For me, I collect 12 inch vinyl records I've purposely kept away from 45s and 78s simply because those are incredibly deep wells that I (laughs) I think exploring them would distract me from what uh, is my true love which is the 12 inch, 33 and a third LP records
0: Whereas for me, when I was a kid, it was easier to save up enough pocket money to buy the seven inch single So the album was something that could wait for a birthday or Christmas Mm -hmm. or when I could actually keep money in my pocket longer than the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But I'd walk home from school via the big shopping centre, go to my favourite record store, which was more music. I don't mind name-checking. And it's still my happy place. If I'm depressed or angry, I still love to just go shopping and grab a bunch of cheap singles with nice covers or... Mm -hmm. Oh, the foreign pressing of that with a different flip side or different cover (laughs) art or you know, a picture label. So that format means a lot to me.
1: See, to me, I think, and th- this is the American in me coming out, I, I, I believe I'm probably a very experienced consumer, and I've looked at the 45, the value of a 45, and the value of a 12-inch record, the, the amount of music I get off a 45 versus the amount of music I get off an LP. Um, and, I, and I understand it's not always a rational decision, but I always thought if a 45 is always about a buck 50. But an album was about five bucks, and you got so many more times the music from an LP than you did from a forty-five. So, I, 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 and maybe that's just the way I was raised. I was always patient enough to be able to save up that extra bit, especially if I found a used LP store. Then I could get the LP for about three bucks. So that's what started me off there.
0: You raised very good points, and the reason I was shaking my head during them was not merely because I don't necessarily agree with you, <laughs> but also because when you were paying a buck fifty for a seven-inch single. I was paying $3, and when you were paying about $5 for an LP, here they were about $10 to $12, depending who you liked and what they were. However, you hit on a very good point. I would normally buy lots of LPs when I'd go secondhand shopping. If I found mm-hmm. a good second-hand shop, a half-back book and record place, mm-hmm. some of my favourite, favourite albums were things that I picked up secondhand in mm-hmm. nice condition. My first Zappa was... Uh, Joe's Garage and Studio Tan from the D.Y. Halfback Book and Record Shop, Mm. which no longer exists, Mm -hmm. sadly.
1: The Adventures of Gregory Peccary. Oh, here comes
0: Gregory, little Gregory Peccary. The nocturnal gregarious wild swine. Now, if your thing is the 12-inch 33 and a third RPM vinyl and mine is the 7 inch 45 rpm Mm -hmm. single Can we meet halfway? How do you feel about the 12-inch 45, the extended mix
1: signal? I always thought those were more for DJs. Again, one of the things that I didn't appreciate or didn't embrace about a 45 is that I'd have to get up off the couch and flip the record. I've never had the record players where it was so close to me that I could reach over and flip it and, you know, continue my day that way. It was always the, the record player was in a place of reference somewhere in the room and my couch was further back and the speakers were kind of pointing to me, I'd have to physically get up and walk to flip the record over. And well, I could do that every 20 minutes or so with an LP, a 45 is, you know, just to me, a bit annoying in that way. And uh, a 12 inch uh, single would give me essentially the same sort of annoyance.
0: Slightly less annoyance. Slightly less. Whereas for me, if I was in a a 7-inch mood, if I was playing Mm 45s, I'd grab a pile of them, I'd play them, depending where I was, what I just acquired, there Mm -hmm. might be something in heavy rotation, I do remember days driving my family mad because I would listen to Good Night Tonight with Daytime Nighttime Suffering on the flip side, repeatedly, (laughs) ten times in one go, learn the songs and sing along by the end of it. And the 12-inch singles were interesting because they'd be different mixes. So here we are in the middle of a 12-inch. It's just the same as a 7-inch, really, except you get 5 inches of nothing in the middle. Oh, Mind you, it does cost
1: an extra quid. Yeah, that's a point. So listen, listeners, we've got a quid off you for nothing. It's still boring i was looking forward to some guitar, legs. All right, matey, guitar all right matey pick this
0: guitar all right that stuff always turned me on i right. loved finding the
1: different mixes. different mixes
0: and and i was a guy they used to call this doing a dom at my school mm. if a new record came out and you liked the artist so much that you'd buy the 7 inch and the 12 inch that was doing a dom oh. and there was a picture disc how good was the picture disc Because you've got the picture as well as the songs. Like, it was such a novelty. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that idiots like me were being milked out of all of (laughs) our money. I didn't know that if you released different formats of the single... Two seven inches, two twelve inches, a picture disc. Later on, there'd be parts one and two on the CD singles. I didn't know that if a mad fan bought all seven... All seven would be counted as sales. So if a single got released in seven formats and 10 people bought all seven, that was 70 sales that would raise its level yeah. on the chart. It was just a ploy sure. to promote. Sure. I didn't know that. No. I was just a collector that You are a completist.
1: Stuff. I mean, you are a completist at heart. The only band I think I've ever done the Dom on was <laughs> Iron Maiden. Yes. Now, when Iron Maiden was big, I was a teenager, and I thought they were just the ant's pants, and I would pick up those 12-inch singles. They would release the single as a 12-inch a month or more before the album came out. So first, that was your only access to that new song, and you had to have it, right? But on the flip side, there was also a B-side, something that wouldn't show up on the record. So if you collected, you know, uh, every album they'd release, they'd probably have two or three of those 12-inch singles. There would be two or three more songs on there that you couldn't get anywhere else, like Cross-Eyed Mary. Their version of Cross-Eyed Mary, still one of my favorite covers of this day. They had this one song, Mission from Ari, which was really nothing but a recorded argument of the band after a show talking about the drum sound, uh, but you couldn't get that anywhere else. I oh, know, but he was out
0: of order. He, he, he yes, was he, he was out of order. He
1: was wrong. He was, because he fucked me up by
0: trying to tour me. Pick if he'd have oh, come, no, come up to the riser, right-
1: look, if he'd have come
0: up to the riser.
1: Now, when they started re-releasing all this stuff in CD, they would have all those extra tracks as kind of bonus tracks or whatever like that. But between that time, you know, for that, those 10 years, if you wanted to listen to their version of Cross-Eyed Mary, you had to find that 12-inch single. So that was the band that I collected those 12-inch singles for.
0: And you'd get those bonus tracks on the CDs, but you wouldn't always get the extended versions, the remixes, the mm. different... Now they're starting to put all of that on iTunes, which annoys me. The whole reason I collected the eyes out of whatever I right. love Was the stuff that I just couldn't get.
1: So let me ask you this, Tom. You've got a a stack of 45s. Yeah. You've got uh, LPs, heaps Mm. of them, no doubt. Any 78s.
0: I never collected 78s because they were kind of defunct by the time I came through. Mm-hmm. No, I do, I lie. I have a 78. You lied! I did indeed. <laughs> Again, it was purely for the novelty of it. There was a Nick Lowe album a little while ago, or maybe there was just a single, but one of the formats you could get was mm-hmm. a special 78 pressing. Mm-hmm. So I did the DOM, mm-hmm. I got the 7 inch, and I got the 10 inch 78 format that I can't play on anything. It's not made of shellac, okay. it's still vinyl but it plays at a faster speed and if you don't have a player that'll do it mm-hmm. it's just a very pretty picture with a lump of plastic in it yeah
1: and a little bit of satisfaction within you that says I, I have everything of this
0: yeah yeah so I've helped Nick Blow you know buy one more drink or, or whatever <laughs> I, you know, not, I'm not alleging he's an alcoholic in fact there's a lovely I'm not I don't know oh the legal team's uh,
1: <laughs> faxing us right now with a growing sense of dread and a hammer in my head Fully clothed upon the bed. I wake up to the world that lately I've been living in. There's a cut upon my brow, must have banged myself somehow, but I can't remember now. And the front door's open. Lately, I've let things slide. So, um, yeah, as far as 78s go, yeah, I've never gotten into collecting those. And from what I understand, and I've recently read this book, Not For Sale At Any Cost, which is about the 78 collectors. Have you seen that book? I haven't. It's really quite interesting. It's about the collectors. Uh, most of them are in different parts of the United States. Um, because really, the U.S., I think, is still the the only country where you could still find 78s. That are playable. Yeah, well yeah, you shared with me a story about what they used to do with 78s here in Australia.
0: Well yeah, now the comedian Barry Humphreys, whom you might know better as Dame Edna Everage, mm-hmm. apparently one of his first jobs was working for EMI at their Homebush warehouse. He worked in the deletions department. The deletions department was the room full of crates of returned 78s that they could do nothing with. His job was to take the hammer to them and smash them. What do you think of that? That's just doesn't it break your heart? Breaks my heart. (laughs) They could be the crappiest records in the world by people we'll never hear of, and rightfully so. But it still breaks my heart that they're being smashed. Right. However, there is one good reason to snap a 78. What's that? It's the sound effect of chocolate being broken in chocolate ads. The sound effect is of a shellac 78 being snapped.
1: So with the book, uh, not for sale at any cost, this is about, again, the 78 collectors out of the United States, their tactics and how they they roam the land looking for different 78s. And, of course, there's uh, mainly pre-war blues sort of uh, uh, recordings by the likes of Robert Johnson and Elmore James and the like. So uh, they roam the land. They look at garage sales, at uh, flea markets, uh, in all sorts of different kind of nooks and crannies. They even do research uh, to where they find where the record-pressing plants were. So, they would understand well, uh, Paramount Records used to have a record pressing plant in this city in Tennessee. So, they'd go to that small, obscure backwater Tennessee town, uh, often try to find, locate the building. If the building has been vacant for some time, they try to climb into the building, see if there's any, you know, file cabinets. Sense. And, and,
0: yeah, because in the basement, they'd still be crazy.
1: Yeah, and they walk through the, the town with flyers, and a lot of times they have to actually have. 78 pictures on them Because sometimes The town residents Aren't able to read So they walk around Trying to find people Who used to work At the plant That may have taken stock home. Wow So it's quite An interesting book About these 78 collectors But again It's a very deep well That's the best kind
0: Of Stockholm Syndrome There is <laughs> Now mate I used to work In a music shop And a gentleman Came in With an album Of I think it was An opera Uh, it was an album, which meant it was a book, like a photo album, but every page was a sleeve for a 10-inch 78, Mm -hmm. and I went, oh, that's why they're called albums. And this man who, like I was a kid, he was an old man, he's probably my age now, but he was an old man, he looked at me and went, I didn't realise I was so old. But think about it, Mm -hmm. for me, a record album is a single disc with lots of songs on it. It's not a book full of sleeves each one a different record playing, you know, a limited amount of music.
1: i got to show my ignorance. I finally just got that when you said it. I've never thought about why they call an album an album. That's
0: why it's an it album. Be, yeah. It
1: used to literally be an album. Well, that was like a show to... You, 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 you would go see a show, or, or your parents would go see like, you know, Oklahoma, or some sort of musical thing, and you, you would, there would be you know, uh, 10 or 12 or at least a handful of 78s, and they would be in an extendo book, I guess.
0: Yes, so... Twelve songs meant six records with yes. a song on each side. Yes. that was an album. It was housed in a literal book with pages. That was an album. <laughs> now those twelve songs, six on each side of a single disc, is what
1: we'd call an album. Right. But I mean, the meaning of the word was lost because it, through the transition. Well,
0: you call that screen on your computer a desktop. It's not a desktop. Your computer's not a desk. It's become a metaphor, but right. it represents a desktop. That's right. So, your record album is no longer literally an
1: album. Same with the mouse. In the early days we used to grab actual rodents and throw them at the computer screen. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I still have those at home. Uh, very hard to
0: delete once they've uh, made their mark <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> One more format mm-hmm. that you might get. Sometimes a 7-inch picture disc would be bigger than seven inches and would be a die cut shape. The mm. shaped picture disc. Can I right. have a number of those?
1: I've seen the singles that are cut in different forms. Like I, I seem to recall the Men Without Hats. Uh, you know, safety dance, and it's actually not a round thing, but it's their actual logo of a guy with a hat.
0: There are picture discs by the band The Police that are in the shape of sheriff's badges. Mm -hmm. Uh, A big one in England was Mental As Anything single Live It Up, which was a big hit. Mm -hmm. It was a banana-shaped picture disc. Now, when I say Mm banana-shaped, It was a banana with two lumps in the middle because it was still a seven inch circle. Like you still needed to be able to play it. Right. So there was a round bit with bigger bits. They never went bigger than what a 12 inch would be. Right, they had to fit on the turntable. Had to fit on the turntable, it had to be able to be pressed. Mm -hmm. And the thing about picture discs, it's actually clear vinyl with paper in between. And because it's like that, sometimes it's not quite as thick as it should be. I have owned picture discs that play scratchy whispers because the needles cut through the vinyl and he's
1: playing, playing the, the paper. paper. Oh, yes, That's interesting, and that probably also explains why picture discs typically don't have the same quality of sound. No, they don't have the dynamics,
0: they don't have the clarity very often, right? and that's why they're the novelty. Right. You don't really buy them to play them the same way you would the regular album. Mm-hmm. You buy them because you're a collector and you like the look of them. I mean, if you're a full-on collector, you're going to have it anyway. You're going to have yes. the more playable version.
1: I think in my time I've tried to purchase a few of those and it becomes annoying because they're just hard to file away. And the most you could really do with one of those things is put it on the wall, make it a piece of art that just collects dust or whatever, but otherwise you're cramming it into your record collection, it's sticking out all over the place, you have banana tail bits sticking all over. So yeah, I think, again, uh, those sort of things annoy a collector.
0: But I don't know how I feel about them not being something you'd play because one of my beefs at the moment when I go to record fairs or when I'm crate digging Mm -hmm. is some Gen Y brat who's out to buy vinyls like if they call them vinyls I need a punch in the head anyway not that I'm advocating violence against Gen Y brats but my problem with those brats is they'll drive the price up of a record by collecting it Mm -hmm. not because they want to listen to it, not because they care about the artist quite often, and I've heard this quoted, because it'll look nice on their wall. Right. Shut up. Put up a poster of Che Guevara, who you won't know who he is anyway, or what he stood for, or why he's been immortalised on a poster. Mm-hmm. Don't be driving up the price of my records, just so that your squat can look a little bit more... in Your squat. The apartment mummy and daddy are paying for you, so it can look a little bit more interesting for whoever else you're inviting over to entertain. Now, here's a format and here's a collector that's a lot like your 78 collectors, Mm -hmm. the sound page. The single-sided, yes. floppy
1: plastic. They used to put those in magazines.
0: Yes. Yep. Yes, guitar player would always come with it, or keyboard player would always come with a free record. And, and... sometimes Mad Magazine. Oh, they're very collectible. Mm-hmm. They'd be seven-inch singles, but on a square page with a yes. round. Yeah. <gasps> and cereal boxes. Disney yes, the monkeys ones? released singles on the back of Kellogg's cereal mm-hmm. boxes. Yes. So I was going to actually talk about the Beatles Christmas singles. Mm. The Beatles used to put out these singles right. every Christmas for the fan club only that would be them doing skits and mucking about occasionally they'd be
1: weird so <laughs> We want to wish you all a merry christmas though. You think that's funny? <laughs> that's pretty much the first one. Hello, Ringo here. As you know, I was the last member to join the Beatles. I started to play drums in the group in 1962 I've <laughs> been a couple of other groups. Oh, just wish oh. the people, Whistler. Merry Happy. Go on oh. for Christmas. Christmas. Merry Happy New Year and folks, Happy Christmas and May. May everything you wish be granted. Singers Wenslus, so King Wentzelsen, King Wenslus. good King Wenslus last look down
0: on the feast of Stephen when the snow was up? So, yes, very collectible. And again, the same thing of, hmm, let's see if the pressing plant still has any stock available. Mm. And there were. There were people that went, oh my goodness, these are changing hands at X amount of dollars ago. Yep and I can just slip the watchman a fiver or whatever.
1: Yep. So that's a fascinating story. Uh- The level of detective work that record collectors and memorabilia collectors will go to is absolutely fascinating. And and, uh, this brings to mind one of the stories in this book, not for sale at any price. Uh, Paramount Records, again, one of the 78 uh, pre-war record labels that contained a lot of the major blues artists. In fact, Jack White recently did a whole collection re-releasing all of the uh, Paramount Records, at least that they could still find. Paramount Records is perhaps the... Um, uh, the cornerstone of that pre-war blues ever. The old Paramount pressing plant, which I believe is in Tennessee somewhere, some people went in and they found old file cabinets. They went inside there and they found a lot of literature and documentation and paperwork from the Paramount company. Now, up to about 20 years ago, the only picture we had of Charlie Patton Uh, The blues artist was the face. Yes. He's a very kind of angry kind of looking guy, but you could really, it was just a black and white picture. Um, They happened to find the full body picture of that. So it was the face, but that face had been cropped from a larger picture, and they could now see how long his fingers were, how he was dressed, the type of shoes he had, the background, the type of guitar he even held. And they were able to extract a lot of information out there about Charlie Patton that they didn't have before that moment now that's just Charlie Patton of course you go to Robert Johnson where they had one known picture of Robert Johnson Mm -hmm. before that collection and I believe uh, when they found a descendant of Robert Johnson they actually came up with that second picture of him with a cigarette in his mouth and the guitar the one they took in a photo booth recently they found a third picture of Robert Johnson, or it's been verified as Robert Johnson. Anyway, again, uh, uh, we digress. But that sort of detective work in uh, record collectors is really one of the reasons why I continue to do it. Now, I don't do the actual detective work. I just collect the stories and appreciate those stories. But to me, it makes it really fascinating, and it makes me proud to be part of this vinyl collection community. Take Goya, record detective. The legend you are about to hear is true. Only the needle should be changed to protect the record.
0: You almost touched on this earlier. You were talking about the 78 collectors, Mm -hmm. who even know where they were pressed. Mm -hmm. There are some people that can hold a record and tell you (laughs) what period and in which plant Mm -hmm. Not just the vinyl, but also the cardboard was produced.
1: Ooh, okay. Yeah. I can't do the cardboard. I can do a lot of vinyl. Well, I won't even say a lot. I can do some level of vinyl. Blue notes, I can tell you. But yeah. is it from the vinyl or is it from the
0: label? It's the label design.
1: Yeah, it's the label. It, and it's the markings on the label, like the initials that they'll have. Yeah, I can tell that. Uh, a lot of Atlantic records and, of course, the blue notes, they were all, at least the ones before 1963, were produced out of New Jersey from the plastelite pressing plant. And when it comes to Atlantic records, I know enough to where I can understand, like an M.O. is the monarch plant out of Los Angeles, or P.R. is out of, uh, I think, Tennessee, So, uh, yeah, I I think I'm just edging on some of that nerdydom, but perhaps not to the level you indicated.
0: Now, look, Nate, we don't have a lot of time Mm -hmm. left, but, again, there are some things we haven't covered. For example, we have not even begun to discuss compact discs.
1: And nor will we start, (laughs) Dom. This podcast is not about compact discs. It's not about MP3s. It's about enjoying music formats that have a physical form. And so let's stay in the analog world. I'm with you.
0: Mm -hmm. I am of the age where I remember, and there are people who don't, I remember the joy of freshly pressed vinyl in Mm. mint cardboard. And inner sleeves and artwork you could read mm. and dropping the needle for the first time.
1: Oh, and to me, the smell of an old record collection, flipping through the different covers, not knowing what's going to come up next. It may be Lee Morgan. It could be Led Zeppelin. It could be the village people. You don't know what you're going to get when, until you're, you're flipping your crate digging, you're flipping through the different, uh, um, different records, and the musty, mildewy smell of, uh, of a nice record collection that has been packed away perhaps a little bit too long, but at least it's been packed away and it's been taken care of and it's not been abused. I love that sensation. Turn the record over and we'll continue on the other side.